This is Lead with a Question. I really make it a point to to sort of welcome folks in. Um, Not that I need to be a mentor to everyone because I don't or didn't. Um, But I I wanted to create an environment where people just felt they could bring their authentic self. They could be comfortable. Um, Because again, I did have a little bit of the secret sauce in the back of my mind. Like if we create the right environment, people will do their best work. Hi, I'm Rob Callen. We live in a time when people are seeing that the old way of doing business is broken and that leading into the future requires something new, a deeper focus on humanity, the courage to let go of power and ego, a desire to nurture the conditions for co-creation, and the bravery not to have all the answers. On this show, I, along with my friends Chris Deaver and Ian Clausen, Connect with guests who embody these principles, and whether household names or not, they've shattered the status quo, often as misfits, to shape the future with others and achieve miraculous things in work and life. When I was a kid, I learned about fire safety, and one of the visual frameworks adults presented to me was the fire triangle. The idea that for fire to exist, you had to have three ingredients, heat, oxygen, and fuel. Take one of these three things away, and you had no fire. Well, just like fire needs certain conditions to thrive, business outcomes require specific ingredients too. Finding the right blend can be especially tricky when teammates are separated by time, geography, background, and language. So that's why it's been important for today's guest to keep the following question in mind. How can deep connection and trust lead to a culture of innovation? a conversation with Archie McEachern on this episode of Lead with a Question. Some of the things that I really stand for and and, and I use as my principles are, are filters. Uh, are number one, just the ability to really just be an open person and uh, be open to new thinking, uh, new ideas, not necessarily married um, to my point of view, although I'm certainly someone who brings a point of view. Um, And I think a lot of that I attribute to the house I grew up in. My father was, was one of eight. And he grew up uh, extremely, extremely poor. Uh, And so education became a priority for him and his brothers and sisters. And then I think that just kind of passed along. So I sort of grew up in a household where, you know, learning and discussing what was going on in the world, et cetera, was, was a really active part of my childhood. So I think that was that was one component. And then the other component is just playing a lot of team sports where you're constantly like working in unison with other people to deliver a result. Um, And that was sort of a, that was an interesting childhood. And so I think that's really kind of shaped my openness and willingness to, um, to kind of partner and collaborate with people. And I think that's a huge collaboration is a huge principle of mine. I think a couple other things that I really, I really try to stand for is just being curious uh, as a person. And again, I can attribute that a little bit to my background. 
um, just always, you know, seeking that it's, it's okay to work at your craft. Uh, you know, I came up through the, the game of basketball and I wasn't, uh, by any stretch, any kind of like accomplished player. I did play in college, but a very small college. It was a great experience. And, but the, the industry of it, it's, it's always like, Hey, are you working on your game? Like for me, I was always very open to sort of working on, you know, just getting better at the things I did. So I think curiosity, collaboration, and just, you know, um, and then sort of a mind, a growth mindset is the other thing that I think when I think of experiences now or, or relationships I have or things I'm getting into, like, am I around people that, that also believe in, in like, Hey, there's going to be always be challenges, but how do we move things forward? How do we maybe take direction and shape it in a way that can really work, um, for whatever purpose we're sort of going after. So I think those, those, those are some, some sort of uh, core principles that, that really um, define how I think and how I lead and how I engage with people. Awesome, Archie. Um, one, one question I have for you is, you know, Chris brought up this notion of, of a misfit. It's something that we find as a unifying front for this work that we're engaged in. It's, it's one of these things that we can all identify with. What, might your misfit story be in, in terms of, you know, your childhood or in terms of, you know, early career type of storyline? Yeah. I mean, uh, I grew up, uh, corporately in an era, kind of the early nineties into, into 2020, at least formerly in a, in a big company like Nike, where, you know, there was so much opportunity. Um, there were specialists and then there were people that were, sort of, you know, brought a lot of learning agility and the ability to kind of to move around in the different functional groups. I, I would say, you know, one of the things that, that I recognize right away, I may not be the deepest in any one particular area. Um, but I think what I, what I kind of developed, you know, I don't know, it was so much a misfit or it was just a desire like, Hey, I want to learn a lot about a lot of things. And so when I reflect back, I was able to live internationally in a couple different countries in Asia and work in different functions, uh, work on the commercial side of the business or work on the creative side of the business, actually making products um, or work in what we, we called uh, merchandising was a little bit of a combination of both. So um, I was able to, you know, head into some different and, and I would even say disruptive, whether it was cultures or ways of working that maybe my background wasn't super versed in, but I knew enough, um, to, to kind of take what I, what I was capable of and and let that really kind of elevate. And then also at the same time, recognize, Hey, I need to go deeper in a few areas as I go. Um, whether that's through mentorship or just sheer learning or experience, um, to make sure I, I sort of balance things out. So, um, I kind of recognized early on, like, Hey, I want to do different things, which is, which is actually a really good thing. It's also a challenge in that in a lot of cases you walk, you work in groups where there's a lot of specialists. Um, so I had right. to, you know, really, what do I bring to the table and then what can I learn while I'm there? Uh, even, even later in my career where I was a little bit more of a seasoned leader being very comfortable not knowing, um, 
and, and, and the more you did it, actually, the more comfortable you became. Um, right. So I think that was that was, you know, a little bit of my story of, of just having a desire to, to do different things. But at the same token, um, knowing that um, being comfortable with maybe not knowing. And, and again, as, as you do that, it just kind of it kind of accelerates. So you just take on more challenges like that. Right. Uh, you know, there's a phrase we, we use, we call it experiment with experience. I love that. I think, uh, that's the right kind of mindset that, um, is needed to be able to connect the dots really. And, you know, I think a lot of society is focused on the expert model, the specialist that you described, um, Malcolm Gladwell talks about it, you know, the 10,000 hour approach. Um, but there's something to be said about, you know, not just following your passion, but we like to refer to it as following your passions. You know, the things that might interest you, you know, that type of curiosity you're tapping into, um, you know, that could bring about a unique set of circumstances where you contribute to the world just by exploring that pathway or those pathways, right? So yeah, there's there's great value in being a, a generalist, so to speak, but, you know, pursuing a couple deep pathways, I think is is healthy and and getting good at, at certain baselines, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a baseline that we that you that you have to have, but I I do think, uh, especially now more than ever, where there's so many interdependencies, um, especially in business, the ability to understand what everyone in the room is thinking or feeling, and and knowing where maybe you need to head, and being able to connect the dots or the pieces or the groups on how to do that. I think that's a, that's a skill set in itself. And in a world of specialists, uh, at times, I think sometimes you see, you can see less and less of that. So I was very fortunate in that I've got, you know, they, I, I often heard it re- referred to as putting tools in the toolbox. I got a chance to, to put some tools in the toolbox. I mean, if you'd asked me in, in 2011, did I know anything about the yen to dollar ratio? I would have said no. But in 2012, when I was sitting in Tokyo and I was trying to understand pricing in the marketplace, you know, I, I started to learn about the value of, of different currencies and how that impacts how, how products are priced and all those kind of things. Um, and again, it's, it's learnable uh, behavior as long as you're given an opportunity to learn and you have a, an openness as well uh, to want to wanna learn. Yeah. And that, that approach, it's, you know, especially over the past decades could be considered countercultural, right? For a leader to be open in that collective sense, that collaborative sense. And, you know, it's vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, granted, you're you're at Nike and and there's probably a culture of sport, right? A team, right? Sensibility. Um, And, you know, but it sounds like, you know, you, that's been something you really drawn strength upon, which is, you know, seeing this kind of open or fluid collaborative, you know, culture and building that around you. Um, that's, you know, uh, we, we believe in the same thing. We believe that's the future too, as well as, you know, highlights, right. Of, of, of the past, right. We'd say, Hey, wow, let's keep replaying that. It's so good. Right. Um, like that, uh, that Wiggins jam uh, against Don Don Chick the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen it seventeen times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. How about the NBA? Um, How about a plug for the NBA playoffs? I mean, that'd be incredible. 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So like, I, I'm curious too, you know, just wow. Being in that kind of special setting, uh, you know, culturally, you know, uh, at Nike in general, and then just also, um, you know, international, you know, what were some kind of highlight moments for you, right. Where you felt like, wow, this is something like really just kind of peak uh, moment, right. That was something really special. Well, maybe I'll, I'll share maybe two examples um, that are, are, are very, very different. Um, and, it, and it's funny, um, you know, when I first started at Nike, of course, the first thing you think about is the amazing brand that it is. And it's an incredible brand. And I started in the early 90s. So imagine the heyday of, of Michael Jordan and, and uh, Bo Jackson and, and the, 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 uh, the, fab, the Fab Five. And, and for me, I actually started in Greenland, New Hampshire. And it is a ship receiver in the, in the back of uh, the warehouse. It was a combination customer service warehouse and distribution warehouse. And we had a little employee store and I worked in the back and I would come to work, you know, fresh out of college every day in a, in, in a tank top and, and, you know, got, got packages out the door. And, and it was funny because uh, within the first week, I knew this was a, a place I wanted to really see through and be a part of. And the reason I say that it was the the people and ultimately the people become the culture and to see these leaders. Um, and, and I was just so, and, and maybe it was, Hey, I was a college athlete and, and I've always really kind of taken to that. Um, but to see uh, the amount of leadership, the amount of care and the amount of pride in those groups, two different groups, because you sort of had a kind of an inside sales group, customer service group, and then a warehouse group. And it was funny, I was sitting in um, a true story. I was in, in, in Shanghai um, a few years prior to leaving Nike, uh, waiting in the Starbucks line at 7am before going up uh, into the, uh, the office tower. And I hear this accent. And it's and I said to the, the woman ordering coffee, I was like, wow, it's got to be Massachusetts or New Hampshire. And she said, New Hampshire. And she looked at me and she, her name is Lisa Fortier. So if she ever hears it, she'll get a kick that I, I mentioned her name. She's a, she's a specialist in warehousing and, and IT and, and warehouse operations. And she had been out to, she flies around the world really to help uh, different situations that Nike has. And we just sort of uh, embraced and had a hug. And it was just so interesting to see here we are, you know, at that point, maybe 27 years later and uh, reconnected. And I think it's just the, the power of people. And I was very fortunate to see that early on. You accelerate back, you accelerate forward, I should say, in my career. And I just was, you know, just had some really interesting experiences sitting and working with groups, especially in Japan, I would say, um, where it's such a foreign country. I mean, it's the lowest immigration in the world. Um, unlike China, like English is actually, it, it's, it's a lot more scarce, even in the office environment. So there's a lot of just cultural norms and uh, communication um, opportunities or challenges, depending on how you looked at it. And to be able to sit there after the fact and 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 be with those with those with the team over there and reflect on hey you made a difference and and more importantly you made a connection um that to me was just was everything and it just kind of kind of showed what the the power of just being authentic uh with folks and 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 really being in the moment can can do for you so i think those are two similar stories but different but it was sort of at the beginning and a little bit more 
um, towards the end of my career and just very reflective moments where I, I realized how lucky I was to have been given some unique opportunities, but the same token, I was, I was also willing to, to kind of, uh, embrace that and, and, and take on those challenges. That, that's a really cool kind of full circle storytelling there, you know, where you, you met your coworker 20 years later. That's really cool. Um, tell us about some of the challenges culturally, uh, in working in Asia, you know, you have the Nike workplace culture, you know, which is very iconic. It sounds like such a rewarding experience for you personally and the teams you've been a part of. How did that translate the workplace culture, but also being in these other diverse cultures? Maybe uh, go, go into that a little bit for us. You know, what's really interesting about that is I think the personal transformation that you have when you live in a country that's not your, your native, your own, is, is the biggest transformation you have. Um, and then that, in, in, in turn, starts to inform what happens in the work environment. Um, and, you know, I could go on and on about different stories, um, but just learning the language. Um, one of the funny, one of my personally funny stories is um, my, I coach sports in Japan. Uh, my son was in the fifth through seventh grade. We were over there. My daughter was second through fifth grade. So I coached his uh, American football team. Uh, we we would play other Japanese teams. And then there were some military bases where we'd see other American kids. And so this was out, the school was maybe 45 miles or so away from, there was more in the suburbs. Chofu is the suburbs of of Tokyo. And so um, rather than take a train, which would take just in terms of connections, it would take a long time. We actually got a uh, a used car, and so you know I, I got a, a a permit. But then after a year, you actually had to take the Japanese driver's test, and um, it was very common uh, for folks to you know to not pass. And of course, my wife passes the first time. I don't think she drove more than twice all year, and, and she passes. Um, but on 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 turn number two. I was able to, I was able to knock it out, but just to be able to go in there and it wasn't a written test. It was, it was an actual, uh, instructional driving test. And there was a course and there were certain things you had to do, but just to be able to kind of put that all together with frankly, no English being spoken. Um, I just thought there was a really interesting, uh, you know, demonstration of just, this is what you're going through. So like even going initially going to buy things, grocery stores, language barriers, cultural norms, um, all of that. Same thing in China, um, a little bit different. Um, China was much more intense, I would say, just because Shanghai is such a big city. Uh, Tokyo is massive too, but it's a little bit more spread out and sort of um, not quite as high. I mean, China, uh, Shanghai is, is just massive. You feel like you're sort of at the epicenter of the world. There's so much going on there. And this is, of course, all pre-COVID. Um, but uh, I think just your daily sort of, okay, I'm, I'm getting to the office. My routine is completely altered. Um, maybe where I, I'm a big morning exercise person, maybe where I do that is, is shaped completely differently. What am I eating? Um, all those things, all the things you don't even think about uh, in, our, in our culture and in our country, all of a sudden that is like super top of mind. Um, but the more comfortable you become and the more open to what I did learn about myself is I, I started to become much more open to things that weren't exactly 
what I, what I, how I would do it, or maybe it's a little bit different uh, from something. And I started to not get um, uncomfortable about that. I started to become much more comfortable. Um, and, and, and then all of a sudden you start to thrive in, okay, like this is totally different. What a unique experience. I started to become far less reliant on, um, of course, technology helps too. So now all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting, you know, I'm living on ESPN or what have you, but like, I wasn't all caught up in, all right, the games are on on Saturday. Cause frankly, it's the Saturday games were on Sunday <laughs> and, the, and the NFL was Monday when you were at the office. So, um, just a lot of things you sort of learn to, to prioritize and filter what, what was really most important. Um, and then as a result, I, I, I think you kind of bring your best self, uh, to the office and, and just the whole notion of being curious. I mean, certainly working for a brand like Nike would center you when you go through the office doors because you're, you know, you've got a, you're all kind of laddering up to common strategy and, and, and where you want to take the brand. But, but how you did that every day was, was very unique. But, you know, early on, I would say I, I would have had challenges like anyone else. I would say as I, as I grew through that though, it became very, very, very comfortable. Um, and, and one thing, Chris, we, we, we spoke to earlier and, and I, I failed to mention it and I, and I just will now, cause I feel like I, um, I, I do want to is, um, another sort of principle of mine that I learned so very much firsthand in, in, in all these experiences I'm sharing with you. It's just the power of diverse teams. Um, and it's diverse teams and it's inclusive teams and ultimately empower teams. Um, and I learned that firsthand. And that was, I wouldn't learn that working in the U.S. And I certainly learned it, um, working overseas and diversity across all dimensions, um, for sure. And I think diversity of experience was just a really, really big one for me. Being open to, um, bringing people into groups that maybe you wouldn't have traditionally thought would have made the most sense. I think over time I learned it was such an asset and frankly, it's a business advantage. Um, not only is it the right thing to do, but it's, it's, it's a clear demonstrated uh, upside and how you approach things. Cause you're not all thinking about things necessarily the same way you're getting all these different points of view, which is really, really powerful. So I think that for me, that all sort of, uh, Ian kind of ties back and circles back, but that's, you know, it's a little bit of, of, of kind of how I feel both in terms of, uh, approaching, um, you know, some of those areas where I may have, have stumbled, but then over time, just really kind of embracing the stumble. <laughs> Archie, I love that story. Um, because I'm hearing parallels between, you know, your experience as an expat trying to learn different languages customs, cultures, hoping to be kind of accepted into these new teams so that you can effectively contribute so that your literal voice and your words can can be heard by the teams. Um, do you feel like that process of progressively trying to sort of be welcomed in um, also affected the way even you know, when you're working with, with a team that seems to be, you know, similar in many ways, has that heightened your awareness of, you know, different ways in which it could be helpful to, to help welcome people in? No question. And, um, I was very, very blessed in my working career that I had several mentors 
or both formally and informally, or, or people that I just had conversations with that were so gracious in paying things forward and providing insight and, and sort of opening up my mind to things. I mean, I was blessed. And, and so as a result for myself, um, I, when new people come into the group, um, I, I really make it a point to, to sort of welcome folks in, um, not that I need to be a mentor to everyone cause I don't or didn't. Um, but I, I wanted to create an environment where people just felt they could bring their authentic self. They could be comfortable. Um, cause again, I did have a little bit of the secret sauce in the back of my mind. Like if we create the right environment, people will do their best work. And a lot of that I learned, um, too early on working in product creation at Nike, where you're working with creatives and you want to make sure that they're, they have unique talents and, and they're, and then how do you bring sort of the consumer and the marketplace and trend into that? Um, so I learned about the importance of environment. Um, and I liked, you know, I started to kind of, you know, try to bring that everywhere I went where no matter what type of group I was working with or in, the environment or the, at least the tone that I set was a, a tone of collaboration, um, people coming together and sharing. That's just one of the, the bigger things that I think I brought to the table. And, and kind of along those lines, um, Ian, maybe specifically to your question, uh, or excuse me, uh, Rob, it's, I, I think anytime you put yourself out there in front of your team, that vulnerability about trying to learn something or, you know, giving it your, your, your best try. And, and I, I think, I think the teams have an incredible uh, admiration for that. Um, you know, I think you can, I, I'm just, I think what I'm, I used to say when I'm, when I'm done sort of expressing that sincere interest in trying to grow, then, then this wouldn't have been the, the, the place for me. And I think um, that's just how I'm built even today, whether I was volunteering this past winter with a high school basketball team here in, in Maine or working in the startup environment that I'm in now, um, which is a, a tiny team, um, just that sort of how do we do things better? How do I learn? Just being a kind of a lifelong learner is just a lot of what is built within me. And it's just how I operate. Um, because the, 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 you know, I, this is really overused, but it's, it's so true. And, and I, I put this on my children a lot as well, but like the journey is everything. It's less around what happens at, at, as the result, the game, the win, the, the, the product you built, the number you hit. I mean, while I'm not saying that's not important, but like the journey of growing to deliver something, that's, that's where all the gold is. And that's what you reflect back on. It's less about you got there and it's kind of how you got there. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of the themes that you're, you're highlighting, um, make me think, you know, there, there's the best leaders uh, I've ever met, right. At Apple, uh, other places that I've talked to, if, if you, know, you ask them, um, you know, how do they consider themselves? Like what's their role? And they'll say a coach, right. And the elements that you're describing are all, what a co- what a great coach does. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the with those folks sharing with you in those different cultures about 
being a coach, I think is, is spot on. I mean, if you think about, especially in bigger organizations, as you grow in your career, um, and you take on more responsibility, maybe it's a bigger team. Um, there's more complexity that you're leading. Uh, you, you can't do it all. And, and especially as you make that sort of, a lot of people make that, that transition from sort of an individual contributor, even a high level one to more of a group leader or enterprise leader. Um, you just can't do it all yourself nor should you. So I think that, you know, for, for me, I think the great leaders are just that they're able to learn how to inspire, um, how to create clarity, um, how to celebrate execution as well. Um, and they're able to kind of package that all up together. Um, and that's through, you know, delegation is through empowerment, um, shaping the dynamics of that team, understanding what, you know, maybe that, that function or, or organization needed at the time. Um, and I think that's a big part of what, what leaders do. I mean, certainly strategy comes into that, no question. And cl- clarity of vision is everything. Um, but after that, how you coach and, and mentor and shape people is, is, is super important. Um, and I, w- and once again, I was very blessed uh, at different stages in my career, literally from the first time I walked in the door, uh, to, to really even, even to this day, um, I had great people who, who did that for me. And, and I felt a responsibility, uh, to kind of pay that forward and do that for the next generation. Um, I got that in sport and I certainly got that in business. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things you touched on too earlier was mentioned about, you know, kind of not, not letting failure kind of stumble us or, uh, you talk about growth mindset too, right? And that's definitely, you know, something a coach has in mind, right? There's, you're going to have some, you know, some, sometimes it's just have losses in the loss column, but the focus is the long term, right? The journey, as you said. Yeah. Um, I think a story that sort of jumps out, um, and it happened a while back. So I'm, I'm very comfortable sharing is, um, when I was the head of basketball footwear at Nike, uh, and this is 2008-ish zone, um, the business was not in a great place. Um, the trends were around lifestyle. I was heading up more of the performance sort of new creation area. And, and a lot of the, the sales at retail were in or what they would define as like classic products. So um, we we knew things were were difficult and you know in a company you can you can certainly feel the pressure and, and myself being the leader of the group I could I could feel it uh, I could certainly feel it quite a bit and um, we really uh, what we ended up doing this is really pre Beijing Olympics 2008 is we created a product called the Hyperdunk and it and it ended up being an incredibly successful product that 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 team went on even as I left product creation and went into sort of general management and merchandising sort of that, that product sort of lived on. And then ultimately that product went away, but a lot of those principles lived on around being lighter, more responsive. Um, and you could see it cascade through the line, but at the time I would, I'll tell you the learnings were, so you're in a tough business. Um, and you know, what's the number one thing you start with? It's, it's focus. Like, what are you trying? What are you trying to, d- to deliver? And why are you trying to deliver it? And what do you want people to feel 
once you deliver it. And so we really just kind of got back. And that was, you know, even for myself, like, I'm like, wait a second here, we used to have this many models, and now we have this model. And, but yeah, we applied incredible focus, and we built something super special. And and the product was a huge success. It was worn in the Olympics by, you know, several, the entire uh, US, the the Redeem team, I think, um, that group. Uh, And it was just, it was amazing. And it was an amazing experience to see a group kind of go all in, like really sort of build out a, a product journey or a story where you were all in. And I, and I think it's just incredibly exciting. Um, the flip side I would tell you now is in my current role uh, within 360 Hoops, we're, we're building, we're taking an idea that at one point was, was frankly a, a sketch or an idea. And we're this is pre-revenue. I came into the, the team and we're building a three-dimensional product. And there's a lot of just interdependencies and suppliers and, and you know, all this. And just uh, to be able to then kind of know that like, hey, before we go out and we create events and we market this and we do that and hire people and do all these different things, the number one thing we've got to do is let's get our experience, let's get our product experience right first so that we've got something to build with and from. And it's just been a good learning that's kind of cascaded into this. And, you know, when you're in, you know, when you're in an environment that's actually a startup and, you know, capital is tight and resources are precious. um, That's a whole different level of, you know, how do you create focus and how do you, how do you just kind of move forward in a really strategic way? And in both cases, um, creating something really brilliant was, 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 was great to see. That's a great story. Um, very inspiring, especially coming back, not necessarily from the brink, but definitely coming from a a place that, you know, the business was not where you wanted it to be. And then to see that, that comeback is, is awesome, especially on such a global scale. I, I imagine Archie that, you know, working your way up like you did in Nike in the warehouse in a temp position, I'm sure that lended a great deal of empathy throughout your career, you know, being able to connect with people of all walks of life at any position. Um, and it's rare. I mean, when I was in healthcare, the most effective managers from a nursing standpoint started off as housekeepers or, you know, uh, certified aides because they had a deep respect for what it takes to do the little things that kind of add up. And I imagine that's got to be very similar to, you know, what you're describing to us with your experience. Um, Going back to the hyperdunk scenario, um, I I think that you pointed out a a great challenge that you guys overcame as a team. And it sounds like there was a lot of collaboration. The tension was there. The pressure was there. What are some of those elements, you know, as a leader looking at your team and trying to influence you know, those conditions, what are some of those things that you can extract from that experience that uh, were key to co-creative elements uh, with that environment that you guys dealt with back then? Yeah. And I think it's, this plays out across the board uh, every day for leaders everywhere. I think, you know, the number one thing is uh, at least what I took away from it was while I was leading that team, um, I didn't necessarily have to be right. It didn't have to be my idea. 
Um, I think what, what I took away is like creating conditions where the talent on that team could bring their best self and be open to different ideas. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes you got to kind of be back pushed up against the wall a little bit to really have that like fully come to, to be. But I think for leaders, like creating conditions, I mean, a lot of times, you know, it's easy to, you know, think you're listening, think you're taking it in, but really you kind of know where you want to go. And to some degree, you do have to know where you want to go. But you also have to be really open to feedback and input um, from folks, especially folks in a, especially in a situation where you're talking about bringing different skills or functions um, or ideas to a certain project, um, which was very common in my prior work. It's common in my current work. You're bringing people with varied skill sets. So you, you, you want to respect what they bring. Uh, you want to listen for it and be open to it. And, and I think that was one of the things I, I learned right away. Like, and I think ultimately that all adds up to what I would call a culture of innovation. And which I think the great brands, the great brands are, you know, they let innovation and problem solving and being a futurist drive uh, what they do. Um, and I think that's just a behavior as a leader you, you need to model. Um, another big takeaway I, I, I had kind of related um, to that, but probably related to our earlier conversations is just, you know, modeling the behavior you want to see the team exhibit is everything. And, and it's really interesting, like in today's um, world. So I spent, I spent, I had the chance for uh, this year, I think I referenced, I coached a high school basketball team. Well, the prior winter I had uh, volunteered at Lewis and Clark college. So I, I did a little around the college thing and a little bit of high school things, which really fun to kind of be back in a, in a zone where it's sport and coaching and not just business and coaching. Although I enjoy both. Um, but one thing is for sure in athletics, especially college athletics, I have a son who, who, who uh, plays in, at a small college himself, and you, you're seeing it firsthand. Is I think more than ever, you, the employees or the players are evaluating the coaches or the leadership as much as the leadership or the coaches are evaluating the employees or or um, the players. And I'm not quite sure that leaders and coaches fully understand that. That now. And if you're, if you're younger, it's probably from a mindset shift perspective, it, it may either be easier um, just because you're more used to that culture. But I think what I see in a lot of cases is, and you know, there's a lot of noise right now in, in sports and in, in collegiate sports. And I'm, I'm sort of a junkie and in, 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 in both football and college, I followed it pretty intensely around transfer portal and name image likeness where athletes now can be recognized for their contribution, which I fully support. Um, but I think, you know, and I've said this to a lot of uh, friends that I have in coaching, because I do have quite a few, like now more than ever, the number one thing you need to have with your athletes, and ultimately, I think your employees, is you need to be connected. Because connection equals value. And to use a sports analogy, how you're connected to, say, in basketball, your 13th person, um, say, versus your first person, it could be totally different. 
the first person might be, and I mean like your top athlete or top player, it might be totally different. But if you're not connected to the whole group at some level, both as a team and individually, it's hard to rally everybody. And I think that is the opportunity now in leadership is connection. And, and it takes many different shapes. It takes many different forms. It is about being authentic yourself. And it's about being curious and asking questions like, you know, what is going on? How do you feel? Are you getting everything out of this experience that you want? How can I help you get better? How can I help you reach your goals? And I think now more than ever, like, that's it. And um, I think teams and coaches uh, and businesses that, that kind of use that. Uh, I know that's a lot softer, but that use that as a strategy will benefit immensely, immensely as they go forward. Yeah. You're like describing this kind of co-creative relationship, right? And, a, and it's sh this shift, right? That's happened. And, uh, you know, we, we are always you know, curious too, with you know, this say rising generation or even folks in the workplace that feel, I mean, there's a lot, been a lot of change, right? People, you know, probably more than, you know, in, in our lifetimes, right. Um, in, in general, and then in the business world too, uh, you know, everybody working, uh, you know, or, or at least for a time, you know, and, and sometimes it's hybrid now, but it's you know, on zoom or more on these calls and, you know, the way that work happens, right. The rhythm has shifted. And so that's just kind of one example, but to your point, you know, for these people, you know, that are wondering, well, how do I lean in, right? How do I lean into the future? And you've answered a lot of this already, right? You just said it. It's like, Hey, there's this collaborative relationship and it's about connection. Right. And then for them, right. If they're an employee that wants to feel like a co-creator and maybe they're in an environment where it's, you know, uh, that culture hasn't shifted yet, but maybe those existential elements are shaking its foundation and those leaders are realizing they've got to move, right? Or, uh, or become obsolete. But what can people do, right? To be brave uh, in, in that, in the ways, you know, maybe some of you, what you described or, or what would you say? What kind of advice would you share with them? Well, I, I, I'd say maybe a couple things. One, I would say the whole notion of modeling the behavior you want is huge. So if you as the leader, um, can model that if they can see you trying to bring people together, see you being vulnerable, see you uh, brainstorming, seeing you being very open to pursuing maybe alternative paths, um, what have you, I think that goes a long, long way. Um, getting back to the connection part, uh, you know, once you've established connection, the byproduct of that is trust. And once you have trust, the sky's the limit. Because when you have trust as an athlete, and if you're a coach, you can coach hard, you can coach different, nobody personalizes it because you have trust. And I think in the business environment, once you've established that trust, people are much more comfortable, like, okay, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to throw my idea in. I know that if I do that, um, even if the room maybe moves in a different direction, uh, there, there, there aren't consequences for it because I have this connection. I have this trust. I have this relationship. I have this confidence. Um, 
in, in the person that's really helping lead this, that'll happen. I think the other thing you can do related to that both points as a leader is as people put themselves out there, because, you know, it's hard. Um, and there's so many different working styles, like you have introverts and extroverts. I was a little bit more on the extroverted side. Um, you probably expect, um, you know, at times maybe too much so. Um, but I learned how to work with how do you bring the best out of an introvert who has amazing ideas. So I, I would go into meetings knowing a little bit of the personality makeup of my teams and or the teams I was working with and know like, hey, there's some people I might actually have to bring them along or I might talk to them ahead of time and say, hey, look, I would love for you to share something around X. Um, and then, and then of course, when people do put themselves out there, you know, applauding that, um, recognizing that, encouraging that, um, is, is everything. And it's really hard. Um, there's so much pressure to be right. Uh, and some companies are so much pressure to grow. Um, and you know, it, it can feel like there's not a lot of room to, 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 to be wrong or to experiment or to edit or evolve or morph. Um, but there is, there really is. And I think that's where, where the real growth comes. So I think as a leader, a modeling it, B being really positive about others that do it, C, uh, creating an environment, um, where that can happen. And, and then I think the last point is just learning, you know, how does your style connect with everyone? You know, it may, it may really work for some folks. It may work less for others. Um, and believe me, I haven't always done it right. Uh, no, no question about it. And so I've learned through that and how to sort of cater my style at times in different ways, uh, to make sure I'm connected. But I, the one, the, the only other thing I might add that I think is always uh, really appreciated, um, by people and by teams is the clearer the expectation, the clearer the brief, so to speak, the clearer the vision on what we're trying to accomplish, the, the better sort of end result. So I think as a leader, your clarity of vision is super important. So if you're up there and you're kind of moving in and out and, and things you know don't add up, I think that's also where I think you got to really uh, understand that people are they're trying to follow you, um, and if your vision's clear and and people feel connected, then ultimately you are going to build followership, and people are 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 they're going to okay. I understand. I mean, there's so much change in the workplace. To your point, Chris, like so, creating like simple and sort of clear. Uh, directives or not even directives, but in some cases, maybe directives or, or just uh, visioning statements about what you're trying to do is everything. Because think about it, we're working differently, we're working remotely, um, you know, we're working in some cases across different cultures or, or what have you. There are people working together for the last couple of years that have never met in person. And so clarity and simplicity, I think now more than ever is like super important. This episode of Lead with a Question was produced by me, Rob Callen, with support from my co-hosts and BraveCore founders, Chris Deaver and Ian Clausen. The music you heard was composed by Ian as part of another project he's involved in called Moon Machine. Dave Arcade created our podcast cover art. 
Special thanks to Archie for providing a vicarious glimpse into the principles that have guided him in his leadership journey. Also, we really appreciate you for taking the time to co-create these conversations with us, especially when there are so many other things you could be doing. If you found any value at all in these episodes, could you do a favor, leave us a rating, even a review, wherever you're listening right now. It takes about two minutes and helps others discover the show as well. If you want to learn more about the work we're doing at BraveCore, you can check out our website at bravecore.co. The Lead with a Question podcast is a production of BraveCore LLC. Thanks for being with us. 